0: edition of wizards the podcast guide to comics ready to don my good skin and fight some spider aliens until they can't exo take no more i'm adam and joining us for the highly collectible conversation that is about to ensue is a comic book fan who may be infused with the blood of heroes or is it just a barbecue sauce stain on his shirt
1: welcome back chris bailey aka charlton hero Well, thank you very much, Adam. I'm excited. ...to deep dive and defend the good history of one Valiant comic. So I'm looking forward to digging into some Harbinger, baby!
0: Yes, you are definitely our number one choice. So this special issue came up, this beginning of the Valiant era, as it's called here on the cover... ...released by Wizard in 1994. And if you've been listening to the show, it's no surprise that Wizard Magazine had great affection for Valiant comics... ...giving their characters the spotlight on Top Ten lists, multiple covers articles covering all the behind the scenes that were going on right and yet despite the valiant relaunch of the last decade yes valiant characters are currently being produced in the comic book form the legend of valiant in the 90s has really faded into the mists of time or uh, quarter bins you know as a uh, <laughs> forgotten publisher doomed to fill them for the past 30 years and yet today we bring you coverage of this book because in 1994 they're calling it the beginning of the valiant era but wasn't the beginning like three years prior or more i mean uh, we're gonna find out
1: <laughs> heck yes
0: so chris tell us what was your first exposure to the valiant brand of comics in the 90s
1: well, the initial exposure was through the video game comics, basically. You know, Super Mario Brothers had launched, uh, they had a Legend of Zelda comic, and of course, then they moved into a little bit later, which something we'll deep dive uh, in a second. I'll, I'll even save it up. Yes, there <laughs> you go. I was I was that excited about it. We'll just say Battle Mania. Well, I'll leave yeah. you with that little teaser. So, I really, really, uh, you know, got on board with those comics. I mean, any time that you could have a Super Mario comic in your hand back in the 90s, you were buying that stuff. And this was quality stuff, Adam. The covers were, you know, with like a thicker cardboard. It wasn't just newsprint. The colors were vibrant. There was something different. Now, this didn't last for very long, but a slime ball in my area opened up a comic book store, and I mean a slime ball. Oh. <laughs> and uh, he was shady, so every single book he would bring in, he would call it the hot book. Oh, you have to buy this. It's the new hot book, and it could be, you know, Archie's Pals and Gals. I don't know. It could be hot. <laughs> but anyway, this guy convinced me, hey, look over here, kids. We gotta say, uh, uh, Magnus Robot Fighter. Now, I wasn't fooled. I seen the old Magnus Robot Robot Fighter, you know, from the older comics back in the day, and I'm like, you know, I don't want Magnus Robot Fighter, but of course, he was telling me this was going to put my kids through college at him so I had no choice and I deep dive in the early early issues of Magnus Robot Fighter and Solar Man of the Atom. So, Ooh. I mean, I started early, baby. Well, I
0: mean, that's good for you because at least for a few years those books were in demand if you're reading Wizard.
1: My friend I I was sitting with my wizard magazine and my stack of Valiants next to me, and the unwashed masses in my hometown were bowing to me. <laughs>
0: now it's interesting because I was actually the exact same way Chris these Nintendo comic books my friends had them and I remember flipping through Captain N and The Legend of Zelda I I think they even had like a hardcover collected edition that my friends bought uh, that was released as well that was pretty fancy back in the day but then I remember seeing Exo Manowar on the cover of Wizard Issue 7 that was my first issue of the magazine ever but it didn't even connect to me as a character that I could read in a comic book like at that time in my life, if it wasn't Marvel or DC, literally it didn't exist as a comic book, as I understood it. So I'm just like, they drew somebody on the cover of this. I don't know who it is. (laughs) Is (laughs) Spider-Man inside? You know? And then from there, uh, as far as like the Valiant universe of titles, I didn't actually latch on to a Valiant comic until after the era that we're talking about tonight. It was when they started publishing Quantum and Woody by Christopher Priest and M.D. Bright, which is a hilarious book. And that was what that I loved and then I started working my way back to the shooter era when I bought the Exo Manowar Retribution trade paperback in a discount bin and then just started trying to find you know all the other Turok and whatever it was so I could understand what this book you know because Exo Manowar just caught my imagination so much I was just like there's gotta be more and I do believe back in the day it was one of the few actually Gibbet covers I bought too was ninjack number one just for that oh, chromium cover the Quesada art you know
1: everybody wanted Ninjack number one that was on you know, people were beating each other to death in my hometown for that thing Oh, good heavens. Oh, yeah. I mean, you talk about gimmicks. Valiant did it better than anybody, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, yeah, man, that's that's some great history right there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of history, you know, that's our history with Valiant, but what is the history of Valiant? So, let's get into that here. So, just to start off, for context, the story of Valiant Comics actually begins 50 years or so before Jim Shooter and Voyager <laughs> Communications attempted to give Marvel and DC a run for their money during the... 90s, it was actually two companies involved called Dell and Western Publishing. Now, Dell Comics were lucky enough to handle the licenses obtained by Western to put out literal funny books, you know, starring (laughs) animation icons, you know, Walt Disney and Warner Brothers and Woody Woodpecker. They were all wildly successful. These were comic books. But with the Silver Age explosion of superhero books, in 1961, Western Publishing decided to basically cut ties with Dell. They said, we can publish comics, we can create our own heroes, we don't have to do just licensed books but they still had you know star trek and disney and tarzan and the lone ranger so they're still making their money over here but getting into a new venture on the other side so using the gold key imprint a lot of you probably have heard of gold key comics they debuted original creations so dr solar man of the atom magnus robot fighter previously mentioned and turok son of stone and somehow these books ran well into the late 70s and early 80s Although, mostly as reprints during oh. their run, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, of course. And also in the 80s, you got to keep in mind, Jim Shooter is at the helm of Marvel Comics. Now, while he's at the helm and making some big Secret Wars type money over there, he became friendly with the owner of Western Publishing. And during negotiations in which Western tried to actually buy Marvel, these two moguls actually hit it off, And Bernstein, the chairman of Western Publishing, gave Jim Shooter a handshake agreement that, in the event that Shooter ever wanted to resurrect all these gold-key characters and you could see the gleam in his eye at that. (laughs) In comic books for, say, an independent company, Western wouldn't sell off Turok, Solar, or Magnus to any other publisher until jim was ready how about that
0: yeah it's a pretty good deal there and what's interesting though is so meanwhile jim shooter yeah he was making a lot of money for marvel he's a mover and shaker but they got a little too high on the horse and he was <laughs> out of there
1: so it's funny you talk about shooter and i, I spend a lot of time talking about uh, jim shooter in particular during this time he was he had landed some big deals i mean they were doing dc marvel crossovers well they attempted to anyway shooter yeah. most of it and <laughs> ended up getting uh getting the results of that but you know he was coming off big deals so he had turned marvel into you know a licensing monster i mean secret wars itself the big epic crossover that we and know and every love
0: cartoons at the time had a marvel comic book and action figures had a it marvel comic crazy. book
1: Crazy yeah. secret wars action figures lining the pegs but anyway i digress continue <laughs> i got carried away baby yeah
0: no it's so so he was doing all that but on the day that jim shooter got fired for marvel it just so <laughs> happened that he was recommended to speak to a rock band manager and lawyer turned businessman by the name of Steve Mazarski.
1: I I like what you said there. You said it's a rock band manager. Can you guess what band Steve Mazarski actually managed?
0: This is this is interesting. His history now, the one everybody cares about would be Aerosmith. So that was a.
1: How about if I told you that that rock band that you know that everybody knows and loves, and I'm sure everybody has CDs at home, the Almond Brothers?
0: Yes, he was so <laughs> proud of having managed the Almond Brothers that they appeared in Valiant Comics and later on. <laughs> I'm like, it. what? The Aerosmith, <laughs> I get. Uh, Allman Brothers, yeah. not so much. So, Mazarski is putting together a touring stage show featuring Marvel characters, and Marvel basically says, well, talk to Jim Shooter. He'd be great to script that for you. Now, this stage show actually never happened, although I'm curious, and Chris, I don't know if you've ever heard any rumblings about this, but the, do you remember the ads for the Captain America musical that was advertised in Marvel Comics for a few
1: months? I do. I was always curious about that. And if, if legend has it apparently some of the stage show would have had almost like a a wizard of Oz type spin so i don't know where they were headed but anyway <laughs> it would have been interesting so
0: mazarski actually says he originally tried to start a record company producing records based on cabbage patch kids characters yes! i don't know was this Alvin Brothers singing songs about Cabbage Patch Kids? We'll never know. But when that deal didn't come together, that's when he started looking for other licenses to utilize, and he found Marvel and their roster of characters instead.
1: Okay, it's time for an impromptu Charlton Hero fact. Yes. Now that you mentioned Cabbage Patch Kids, I did have a Cabbage Patch Kid, and till this day he's sitting in a uh, storage bin, and his name is Alexander Graham. Yes, so there you go. That, that's all you need to know. Anyway.
0: I, I also had one as well, and his name was Grover Cleveland. <laughs> and oh, he uh, right. he went to my niece when I decided I was finally too old
1: to have a Cabbage Patch kid when I was about 12. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Anyway, on with the show. Yeah. So anyway, after a failed attempt to buy Marvel themselves, I mean, it seems like there was a a for sale sign on this company on every single street corner. Let's be real. I know. What's going on? Lord, Marvel was for sale to anybody. You know, the the (laughs) bum on the street. Hey, would you like to buy Marvel for a quarter? No, no, I'm not interested. Okay, keep on. So anyway, the pair instead bought a comic book pro called John Hartz, who claimed to have worked in sales, marketing, writing, printing, and distribution of comics so a good guy to have on their side right you know he continued to like heap praise on himself and you know he's like i'm overqualified to go to a place like marvel and dc because they wouldn't even know where to put me in their structure of course you you know every business had that guy you know what i mean but anyway for a brand new company coming up to pike he was in a perfect position he, or so he says
0: yeah and so it's it's interesting uh that high opinion of himself but w- with that group put together and all of them obviously a little little bit of an ego there but that's fine you get things done and uh, in 1989 under the name valiant the trio began working on creating licensed comic books based on nintendo video game characters as we mentioned so there was super mario brothers legend of zelda captain n the game master and this is interesting because they went to nintendo after failing to get licenses for heroes such as the green hornet the shadow ah missed opportunity terry and the pirates and yikes charlie chan i don't know if charlie chan needed to be resurrected in the 90s
1: oh my well at least it, at least it had a chance in the 90s imagine <laughs> charlie chan in the 2000s oh no
0: no no yikes. no yikes now uh, originally they envisioned this nintendo universe's quote what are their lives like when they're not chasing characters along that little line what was this they thought it was pac-man i don't know if they knew what <laughs> video games were in fact you know i
1: don't think so when you that's that's like the dad going to the party and asking the kids, are they listening to the Nickelback? You know what I mean? They're, <laughs> you're you're chasing that line. I mean, yeah, clearly they had no idea what to do with this property. You know what I mean? Chasing yeah, the line. But as it. they
0: describe them, quote, they were sort of a bad Saturday morning where it was one joke. Every book was a 32-page joke. So that's ultimately <laughs> what they ended up producing.
1: <laughs> Think about this for a second. You're a brand new company, and you get the licenses for the nintendo property now nintendo was burning hella hot back then adam like holy cow i mean you know if you didn't have a nintendo or some sort of gaming console back in the early 90s i mean where were you exactly saturday morning cartoons i need not tell you you know what i'm talking about let's (laughs) talk how how excited were you to see captain n the game master let's be let's be real i loved it honestly
0: yeah i mean that that was the comic that my friends had where i was like i'm
1: reading all the captain n stories right now I like what you said as well, that they failed to get the license for the Green Hornet and the Shadow. <laughs> now, as we famously know, the Green Hornet ended up going to Now Comics, right. in a, just an absolute burial of that franchise right there. Unfortunately,
0: but, although I bought them because they had great painted covers, oh. so I bought a lot of Green Hornet in the early days of my collecting.
1: Boy, did that book go off the charts right after you opened that first page. Whoa! <laughs> So anyway, next they got their license to produce, and this is where it all comes in, baby, the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF comics Ooh, they yeah oh yeah brother right there uh-huh they <laughs> called them battle mania but unfortunately in the ever-changing world of the professional wrestling where you know a face could become a heel overnight or alliances change you know in just the course of a single match valiant couldn't keep up with this either and masarsky says finally i walked in one day and told them with all due respect what you guys are doing here and your wonderful organization we make almost no money on this i mean listen the wwf and well in the 90s okay i can't I can see that being on a little bit of a downward spiral right there. But he also says, with the amount of redos and changes you want to do on this thing, it costs me more to do this wrestling book than any superhero book I sell. And, you know, I am only make one-tenth as many. So why why am I even doing this? I mean, let's be real. I mean, the WWF book was a very short-lived experiment for Valiant, and that's a shame. I mean, some of them, when you look back, I mean, I've had, I have a few of these things. They weren't the best of quality, and they were really, really aimed at, like, a really young, young kid audience. And so you didn't really get like, you know, the coolness of the WWE magazines or comic books that they have today, you know what I mean? It's it's a real shame.
0: Yeah, because you know, at the time there was also WCW comics where most of yes. them were literally just illustrated wrestling matches in a <laughs> ring.
1: They were. They were actually pay per views in a comic.
0: Yeah, and like, and I know Chris back on his Chris and Reggie show, they actually covered an issue of the WCW comic and just were reading it. You know, they they would read the book out loud, and it was just you know a, a description <laughs> of a wrestling match. But the Battle Media books, the thing I recall is they usually were like fighting like just around town, like they were yeah, fighting it, yeah.
1: in settings. Yeah, they they were fighting in the Undertaker's graveyard, for example. Yeah. Like it was all like you know it wasn't a wrestling comic. Per se, it was a comic book based around wrestling personalities. And I think that's where they went completely off the chain with that, actually. Now,
0: in the midst of producing these licensed comics, though, Jim Shooter was leading the charge to release a Magnus Robot Fighter comic book. In fact, he wanted to do it, like, as a graphic novel, you know? And that was in 1991, but that was the start of what would become the new Valiant comic book universe, right? So he's like, we gotta get this out, we got the license, I got the deal. So Shooter recruited former Marvel Comics pros like Barry Windsor Smith, Don Perlin, and Bob Layton, and they came out to help him build this universe. Now, Solar Man of the Atom was the second book to hit shelves. The third book was this new creation called Ray, uh, who was also the first Valiant Hero. The other guys existed previously. He's the Valiant Hero. And then soon, like, they had a whole roster of exciting new characters. So we're gonna kind of get into that here just to give you an idea of what was it all about. You know, like, who who was there to get excited about? So this special edition magazine really serves to catch up potential new readers on all the history of the Valiant characters up to this point so the main strategy that led to the collectability you know that Wizard was so high on with Valiant Comics was they had a philosophy of low print runs and no second printings but it feels like this also limited the ability of most readers to get the whole story especially for those early books like Chris had you know so it created a buzz but also maybe a disconnect Uh, so this this mag Magazine itself was kind of like a a restart to say, like, hey, we could get you where you need to be and get you help you understand what our universe is about. But it should be mentioned also that by this time, Jim Shooter had been ousted from Valiant, and he went on to found Defiant Comics. (laughs) So uh, if you think about it, this Valiant era that they're referring to on the cover was really the remaining executive saying, Here's the beginning of how. We wanted to do things all along without Shooters.
1: <laughs> Shooter seems to get a bit of a bad rap, man. I'm telling you. So he always seems to, like, build things, get things ready to go, get things making money, and then he gets escorted out the door. He gets a head on his shoulders, you yeah. know what I mean? And it seems like it was the same deal here. But So anyway, for the, for those of you who were around during the heyday of Valiant and didn't bother, you know, going to quarterbane hunting, we thought we'd just give you, like, a quick rundown of the Valiant comics that were being published you know, with a little off the cuff commentary as well there on the side, you know what I mean? So I don't know about you, Adam, but let's start it out with Magnus Robot Fighter. What you you familiar with Magnus? Any gold key experience previous to this?
0: I, I do not have any of the Gold Key comics, and yeah, I certainly the only time I ever saw Magnus was in the pages of Wizard, but much like my co-host Michael, who can't even get the name right, he calls him Magnus Robot Hunter repeatedly, <laughs> even after we correct him. Magnus is one of those characters that is kind of generic. The idea should be cool. He's literally yeah, oh, fighting yeah. robots that have enslaved humanity, and he can chop them real good. <laughs>
1: This, got is that, a, tunic. this is a, like a NES game waiting to happen. This is a yeah. side-scroller with chopping action. Even an action figure. Let's let's be real here. Magnus yeah. is an action figure with, like... I, I'm picturing him with almost like a, a trigger on the back, and he does this weird side karate chop. I don't know. <laughs> don't, ask, don't ask me. <laughs>
0: so for you, Chris, when you are being heavily encouraged to purchase these hot books, when you start
1: opening the pages... What did you think? My collection, you know, goes definitely back to Gold Key era. And I did have several Magnus Robot Fighters. So, you know, when I saw these things being re-released, there was a little bit of excitement. You know what I mean? I know other people were looking at it going, why do I want a Magnus book or a Solar book? You know what I mean? But it was kind of cool. I think... Gold Key was pretty pretty straightforward. I mean, they had beautiful painted slick covers. I mean, these things are pinups, man, like incredible art for like the 50s and 60s. Just amazing. And like you said, when you open up the book, it was a more simplistic style, you know, of, of the era, I would say. Now valiant always gets a kick in the ass for you know being all story and no art and i mean you mentioned a few people like layton and the other people who were involved but a lot of the you know some of the big artists like the mcfarlands and the Liefelds, you know they they weren't that valiant and you know they the, that was the style that was being trumpeted back then everybody was extreme the pouches and the belts you know you know the deal the 90s hit and pouches went crazy and the wild hair and the poses valiant didn't have that it had more of a realistic style inside but they did have some decent artists, man. They actually attracted Bart Sears you know, over for Turok and Exo uh, Man of War and man, that guy could draw. He he had a very relevant style. So, you know, I think a lot of the, lot of that discussion gets lost when we're talking about the artwork here. But I know exactly what you mean. So if you're in the nineties and you're looking at the books that are on the shelves at the time, you know, if you're you're looking at X Men and, you know, the wild Jim Lee style and the Todd McFarlane over on Spider Man and different things like that. Of course you've got this bombastic, fantastic looking style, and then you open up a valiant book and it's just characters on the page with almost no flash or substance you know what I mean just straightforward storytelling and that's what you got here
0: it really did seem like it was the independent comics it was kind of like the antithesis of image in many ways for the old readers you're right on the money so they might have been fed up with Marvel and DC and how they had evolved and they're like we want to go back to classic comic book storytelling and that's what Valiant was there for yeah and I think
1: uh, I think they really did a serviceable job because these books are easy to read. You know, the artwork flows very well with the story, but, yeah, at the time, people were looking for bombastic and, you know, extreme, and when they open these things, it's like, hey, is that Kurt Swan drawn that? Hey, what's going on here? Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't of its time, but anyway, let's talk about a couple of these characters. So, I mentioned Magnus Robot Fighter, or Hunter, as we'll (laughs) say. (laughs) What are you? Hit me up with one. What do you got? Yeah,
0: so next up is that the man in red, yes, Solar, Man of the Atom. Now, this guy, you cannot escape that red costume. I mean, a radioactive symbol on his chest. I mean, you just think of who he inspired because there is no doubt. I mean, you have Cyclops of the X Men eventually getting a visor that is identical to Solar. But like, literally stolen.
1: So, yeah. I mean, definitely there's inspiration there.
0: And then also, you know, radioactive man in the Simpsons world, you know, like he, right off from, yep. I guess basically, you take off the visor and you add a lightning bolt and a cape. <laughs> you've got radioactive man on the Simpsons. You better believe Matt Graining and the group over there were definitely reading these Gold Key comics back in the day. And speaking of which, you know, I I actually did pick up a Gold Key Solar book last year, and man, you are right about that cover. It is beautiful. The interior, you know, stories and art, they are. Are very serviceable. They're very yeah. again. They feel very adult. They just feel mature uh, without There's a certain charm
1: for the time, though. Wouldn't you yeah. say?
0: And uh, he's just an interesting character. Solar, I feel, is the character that basically he unites the Valiant universe. As you go through all these other books, he is the guy, because he's made of pure energy, he could use that ability to travel through time, to travel through dimensions, to travel... Like, he's just... He is, like, omniscient, you know? He's basically, like, this this godlike being in the Valiant universe, and
1: therefore, he gets very involved in all the books throughout the history of Valiant. And that's... I think that's one of their strengths. Too is that you know each character is actually intertwined with it with the overall narrative, so all the books relate to each other, they're happening in that one universe at some point or other in time, you know what I mean? And everything relates. If you're looking at the shooter-era Marvel universe, if something happened in the Spider-Man book, those reverberations could be felt, say, in Power Man and Iron Fist or Daredevil, you know what I mean? Everything was a consistent narrative. You look at a book in 2020, Spider-Man's doing its own thing, Spider-Girl, Spider-Gwen is doing her own thing, uh, Deadpool's doing something, and none of these stories relate. People are dying in some books, appearing in others. It's all off the chain, but that would never pass During the shooter era, because he wanted a consistent narrative. So if somebody was beat up and battered in one book, they would be beat up and battered in the other book. You know what I mean? So it, it was that synergy. And that's exactly what he did with people like Solar and Magnus, like they they tied to different portions or eras of the Valiant universe and made everything fit seamlessly. It was wonderful.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting. Speaking of that future narrative, so that's what was going on simultaneously in the Valiant universe. You had books that were set in the present day, so essentially yeah. Solar at the beginning was the one that was really set in the present day, but Magnus, that's what, 4,000 AD? or like he's, he's way in the future. <laughs> and then also you have Rey, this character they've now yeah. created, who is a Futuristic, basically, Samurai Warrior is the look. But he is infused with the blood of heroes, which gives him these powers, these fighting powers. It gives him the ability to fight robots that he can then yeah. shut down. He does mind lock on robots, which is really cool. What did you think about Ray back in the day? Because that was a book, like, when I look back at it and Michael and Steven saw that it was in the top 10 twice for all the books of 1993, there were two Ray books and they're just so incredulous. They're just like,
1: who was reading Ray? No, you know what, it was, I, I do have them, I'm not sure if I really, really gave it the time of day, because it was so set, you know, until Unity came around and started making sense of everything, and combining everything, it felt just completely off the cuff, and not one of my favorite Valiant characters, I'll tell you that, you know, it's it's one of those things, but it intertwined with other books, so, you know, it combined with, it fought the spider aliens from Exo Man of War mm-hmm. you know what I mean, so there was different variations, it crossed over quite well, but as a standalone book, I wasn't a super fan of this one.
0: Yeah, and like his most distinguishing feature is a big red dot, you know, to look like the Japanese flag because he's a Japanese character. But what's interesting about Rey that I find is that it had evolutions. So there was the original Rey... Then yes. he dies, and so a new Ray picks up the mantle. So it's something that gets passed on to, diff- to different characters, and cool. then the book itself ends, and it's not just Ray anymore. Now it's Ray and Future Force, and some Future Force is made up of, you know, all these characters from other books. There's somebody in Exo Manowar armor. Oh, well, it's not Exo armor, I don't think. It's not Manowar class, I should say. It's Exo armor, but not Manowar class. And then you have Magnus is part of that team, you know? So it's like they, they they evolved and like you said after Unity and these characters have run into each other now it's all connected in such a big way so Unity for those who don't know was the first big Valiant crossover so we'll the, probably get it's, into it's that its own yeah.
1: its own crisis on an infinite earth type of deal so yeah. you know it combined all the generations together into like an, an organized storyline so basically placing all these characters within the one universe and making sense of it basically you know Unity was a toilet flush and yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's exactly what it was
0: also in the mix here obviously i talk him up a lot on the main show he's just a character that captures my imagination in so many different ways but that is exo manowar now I, i gotta say the early covers of this book were not impressive the the art unfortunately was like the design could be cool but it didn't have the pop i don't think yeah it was
1: pretty pretty plain jane
0: yeah, so it was just kind of like, okay, there's a guy in some gold and blue armor. What is this, you know? But when you <laughs> opened the book, you're just like, what is this story like you know there's this ancient guy who he's a warrior but he gets abducted by aliens and then he's in a spaceship for thousands of years and he finally breaks out and he steals this armor and now he's got armor but he's on earth and he doesn't know anything about the modern world so he has to learn about the modern world like
1: it's man. like the ultimate fish out of water story you know what i mean you give this guy who's like an, an ancient like warrior or whatever and all of a sudden he gets like he's granted all these abilities from a suit so now he has like in in enhanced strength and power blasts and you know it, he's got total life support you know he can fly in space his injuries heal I mean it's amazing like you know what I mean he can time travel he can do it all and I mean you know his name was uh Eric A-R-I-C and uh, i mean i i just thought the design of the suit was amazing but like you said the original few issues of this thing was was fairly underwhelming you know he's he's a guy out of uh you know out of time and he's fighting these spider monsters but it was definitely something interesting but it wasn't until that he gelled with the you know valiant universe proper and got into other books and you know other people became part of his uh his storyline that i really started to dig exo man of war but i think he's one of the true success stories from valiant for sure
0: yeah definitely an And I think what's so interesting about him is, again, you know, we talk about this evolution of characters. He starts out like he can't even speak English. And so it literally takes like 10 issues before like he's fully formed and he he starts wearing business suits. He can speak English. He takes over a corporation. So now he is kind of like the Tony Stark of the universe mixed with Thor, you know, so he's kind of like got like these old timey (laughs) thoughts and ideals and, you know, and, and business is actual warfare for him, you know, and stuff like that but it's just it just i love those books those are the ones you know where i'm just like i don't have a complete run but i have a near complete run and i just whatever i could find them I, I dig them up so love me some Man award now the next one chris i know is a big one for you so
1: tell us about harbinger oh boy so if you're an x-men fan you can stick x-men straight up your ass <laughs> harbinger is x-men done right as far as i'm concerned and you know what the shooter actually took this you know this idea and concept from the new universe believe it or not so cyforce and dp7 basically are a blending that created harbinger believe it. you know it's they have characters and they're all young kids basically on the run from this they had this guy called uh, toyo harada and he's this powerful psionic you know what i mean and he's got this thing called the harbinger foundation and he tries to recruit people he's like a very evil professor x you you know what I mean? Yeah. So he's recruiting all these kids, and all of a sudden they get onto the con, and they try to break out, and you know get the hell away from Toyo Harada and he begins hunting them down, and that's when the fun begins. Because I mean, you got characters like Sting, who's Pete uh, Pete Sanchez, and you got Torque, Zephyr, Faith, and you know all these guys. I mean, such a such a great cast of characters, and just the kids on the run, and just seeing what they deal with. So I mean, they deal with some really heavy issues that you don't see like like abuse and uh, you know just the different things that th- these kids go through are a little bit a little bit more adult and top shelf than what the X-Men were dealing with at the time and I just fell in love with this book man I don't know have you had a chance to read any early Harbinger it's just so yes. good
0: so, so this is definitely not a book I read back in the day uh, and I remember again seeing it in Wizard but I, it just wasn't a book I could find on the shelves or I, I really was familiar with so uh, Comixology has like this full collection of the Harbinger. so I read like the first 10 or 12 issues and man it is just it is a wild ride and yeah the characters are so distinct and this is where i feel you know jim shooter wrote this book like this was definitely a shooter love letter to what what you were saying what x-men comics could have been these heroes on the run type thing and so like but each character is so distinct they all have points of view and especially you know zephyr faith is probably the biggest one to come out of this now who is so popular in her own Title these days in the relaunch, but back in the day, she was the comic geek avatar. Yeah, so she true. was this girl who loved <laughs> comics and she would just reference comics and pop culture all
1: throughout the conversations and everybody thought she was weird but we're like no we get it you're great faith no it's it's really cool because they had they didn't just, they weren't just superheroes per se with like the super suits and now they did get these things a little bit later on and mm-hmm. all that type of stuff but these were just kids you know what i mean they were just had their t-shirt and their ball cap but you know these guys were super jacked with abilities and one of the things with harbinger like people died like several yeah. of the cast members just like tore just flat out dies in the book you know what i mean you have people who are pregnant and they give birth to geomancers and all the different things that the uh you know the valiant universe had and it was just so intriguing but the feeling that anything could happen that no none of these characters were safe and you know things just didn't you know end peacefully you know there, there was no one and done in the valiant universe everything had to continue on and there was a lot of bad that happened to these poor kids while harada was hunting them man i'm telling you intense
0: the, the only thing I ever fault this book for, because why would you think this was okay, but... Jim Shooter had them fly around in a convertible car like the Neutrinos <laughs> from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I'm like, you don't think people are going to see a convertible flying? Or you guys are supposed to be underground on the run.
1: <laughs> I think this was a in a a, a, uh, a knock at the fantastic car, if you ask me. Yes. You know what I mean? Because everybody had their vehicle at the time, you know what I mean? Even Spider-Man had that god-awful Spider-Mobile, <laughs> which lasted exactly an issue or two. But uh, yeah, you know what, I kind of dug all that stuff, so I was, if if, if there's any book that I loved from the Valiant era, the original Valiant era anyway, was this one. But uh, this one falls apart a little bit later. It's one of those books that never seems to find its footing anymore. Like they, uh, especially in the new era, they don't treat Harbinger as like as like a core title anymore. You know, they have Harbinger Wars and different things. But it's one of those things that during the during the time and the era of release, it, it was huge, and that was my, it was my favorite book of all.
0: Yeah, and just getting back to Toyo Harada real quick, you know, like you said, basically he is the yin to Solar's yang. You know, like Solar yes. is like this omniscient being for good, and Harada, yeah, is like the the very powerful but earthbound businessman who is is causing problems, pulling all the strings behind the scenes in the Valiant universe. It always comes back to Harada somehow. Always, yeah. Now uh, the next book here is a real interesting one. It is Shadow Man. Now, Shadow Man is a book. Like you said, Chris, most of these characters didn't have, per se, like a costume. Like, Solar had a costume, but it was kind of his body also. Like, it was was kind of a weird, you know, he was materializing it himself. But Shadow Man is a character who, he was a saxophonist in New Orleans. (laughs) <laughs> who after one night some type of demon possessed woman or something he was bit and he was uh, given this dark power so at night he started feeling different like he, he feeling different he could maybe jump a little farther he could fight a little better but it was always he had this internal monologue where he's just like this is the night my night i own the night i
1: am shadow and <laughs> It seems like Shadow Hawk in a really shitty costume. I mean, it was it was
0: unfortunate because he has this old lady who gives him this costume she made. That's just like a, a blue you know unitard, and then he's got this shadow man. It's like a picture of a body in a doorway
1: with a shadow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just a shadow of a guy. Like it looks like if you if you cut out the the icon on the washroom that says male and female, and just put that <laughs> on your costume. That's what it would be. It was just like the the shadow of the you know the arm stretched to the side and. Legs to the bottom. He was. It was extremely basic but he had a very unusual mask yes you know he had his hair that came out of the back and all that type of stuff so he could do you know different things with his hair have it long or ponytail but this blue mask was almost picture maybe Kane from the WWE that's that's where I would categorize and put and, except that it had big points on it so yeah it was almost it, like the, yeah.
0: Lilith in Marvel you know yeah, like so that big, Lilith uh, character has those big pointy things uh, yeah
1: it was but different different artists would would do him differently and it, the mask was one of those things that 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 they'd always toy with. So people would almost make him Batman-like with giant, you know, almost points on his hat and others would have it more flat. So, you know, depending on the artist... Shadow Man lived and died by who the creative team was, and it was it was mostly die for me on this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I will say eventually he got a leather jacket and he stopped putting his hair yes. in a ponytail, and then the, then he looked cooler. He looked more extreme, but the stories were still kind of like I don't know, like they, they, I just never got into what his struggle was because yeah, it just felt like it's nighttime now. I want to go do crazy things because it's nighttime you know? And I it was well, just hard to follow. And the only thing was that Master Dark, who then yeah in this era now is becoming the big bad in the universe you know you had Harada but now you have the supernatural big bad he was coming out of Shadow Man because Shadow Man fought like these voodoo characters and stuff so that was his whole thing but I do have to say Chris and I don't know if you draw these parallels as much as I do but Ultraverse totally just took Shadow Man and put a cape on him when they created Nightman because <laughs> yeah. Night Man was also a
1: saxophonist who fought at night (laughs) (laughs) which basically takes away the entire you know character of poor old jack Boniface here you know what i mean it was just i don't know but this one was heavily you know someone clearly at valiant loved new orleans and you know all the lore and the voodoo and you know prowling of the night like you said it was it was a very very basic thing if you're looking at shadow man today you're going oh man this is corny stuff you know you got the people like the supernatural folks who would whisper of a man in a carnival mask who prowls at night i mean it's just extremely basic adam but again not one of the top shelf ones but uh you know when when partnered with others he was he was more 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 okay we'll say but he had the distinction of being one of the very few characters in the entire valiant universe of having his own video game a little bit later
0: yeah i mean it's it's interesting that he was selected of all people that's a mostly forgotten game i think but there he was yeah, <laughs> but
1: speaking of video games, we have Turok: Dinosaur Hunter. I love, I loved it. I don't care. So even from Gold Key, right on up through, I love Turok comics. So I did have maybe you know, maybe 10 Turok comics, old school ones. And when I saw Turok being brought into the Valiant universe, I was all on this one. And I did really, really dig how they brought him in and, you know, they updated his weaponry and they brought him, you know, they had him time travel back and forth. And, uh, you know, I was all over killing dinosaurs and having Turok hunt them. It was wicked. And he had the awesome, the, the, one of the better video games, you know, ever published on any system. I mean, let's face it, Turok Dinosaur Hunter and the, the sequels were were just super fun.
0: Yeah, it was just it was super innovative in that space, and yet Turok. What I find so interesting about him, you know, you mentioned Bart Sears earlier. Man, yeah. those first issues that Bart Sears was drawing of Turok, like just the cover, like that is just a, such beautiful illustration. And yet yeah. Wizard is so funny. They mentioned that this was their comment as they said Turok Dinosaur Hunter. You know, you remember that book that when you take off the cover, it makes great kindling so they hated Turok they loved Valiant but not Turok savages yeah the one thing I liked about him too was he and Exo Manowar you know Eric they had this kinship because they were these old school warrior types and so like they would like go hunting you know like they just had all these awesome adventures together
1: so I, I loved their dynamic and they had some fun interaction, too, with Eternal Warrior and different things like that, that, you know, any of the Time Jump characters, there was a lot of interaction with all these ones, and they blended well together. And, you know, we get to see some of this stuff, like Marvel uses some of these, like – um storylines today so you know they have conan you know basically brought into the marvel universe and part of the avengers and different things like that and they're basically using these valiant type ideas and the storylines and you see a lot of what they're doing today from these old valiant books and whether you know it's coincidence or not i don't know it's a little bit too close for my liking next up around here this is a an anomaly book. I, I, that's how I've kind of put it.
0: I'm just like, what is this? And why was it so heavily promoted? But that is hardcore. Or as Michael calls it, hard corpse.
1: Oh, hard corpse. <laughs> Always the hard
0: corpse. Maybe dead on arrival, depending on how you look at it. So now this book was hyped initially because... Uh, Steve Mazarski managed to get Jim Lee tickets to a U2 concert and Jim Lee said, I want to return the favor. I'm going to draw you a cover. What book do you want me to draw it for? And they said, Hardcore.
1: <laughs> probably, probably the only issue of hardcore that anyone actually has in their collection is probably the first issue with the Jim Lee art. This is true.
0: And so so for <laughs> those of you who don't understand this concept, it's basically centurions without yes. the armor. If you guys remember the centurions yes. cartoon, there is a base of operations. They have these operatives that after they get a surgery that gives them this implant, they can be beamed powers So they can get superpowers. They can get one at a time, though. So they have to work as a team. So one could have flight, one could have an energy blast, or one could control gravity, or whatever it's going to be. One could have indestructibility. So they have to coordinate all their attacks and be a unit, which is a Mm -hmm.
1: cool concept until you see the character designs. Oh, man. I think they were attempting to be diverse, Adam. I think that they were going out of their way to try to be diverse in the looks. But these are some crappy-ass characters. Oh, my goodness. Not one of my favorite comics at all. Like, what what in particular did you not like about them?
0: Well, I guess for me, it's just like, yeah, it's a bunch of white guys in jumpsuits for the most part. And then, like, they go like, one guy has long hair. One guy is balding with a little bit of long hair. One guy, you know, like, they, they just, they were <laughs> Everybody not distinct in any way and eventually they added a female character onto the team so you're like okay something so I know the difference between these characters but yeah it was just they were all also like Vietnam veterans if I remember correctly so So it was like they're old and that was the thing with Valiant and I think that's why they didn't attract so many young readers is outside of Harbinger the majority of their characters were middle aged men for the most part
1: and they were written by middle aged men. Yes exactly what it was it literally the main guy looks like Jim Shooter on the cover (laughs) like it literally does when you look at hardcore number one like you got the guy with the outstretched curvy hand and you know the the psionic bubble around it but then you look at the other guys and they look like they're senior citizens so you got one guy who's got like the horseshoe mullet going on he's got the old spectacles on you got like a fatter bald-headed guy then you got another guy in a motorcycle and they're all in these red jumpsuits with these uh i guess like white lines down the side of them there i think they attempted to make them look like a very cool unit but one interesting thing about hardcore and when you think about this entire concept this is strike force moratori this Ooh. is exactly what this is like there's there's no ifs ands or buts about it you read some of their stories and it's a unit fighting together given special powers that they could literally turn off in a drop of a dime so they're working for you know an agency and they could just kill the hardcore at any time
0: you know what i mean and it's... chris for those who don't know why are you an authority on strike force Moratory?
1: i may or may not have read an issue or two back in the day and i also with mr chris sheehan have the podcast called Moratory Mondays, which we covered every solitary issue of strike force moratorium so yeah so if you want to read more about hardcore join us on that show <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh now another book here, this is really interesting. The next two books we're gonna talk about, they have a connection. Now, this one I remember being touted as a, a very well-written book, and yet there is absolutely no way a kid would want to check this out. It was called Archer and Armstrong. And Archer and Armstrong is a a really interesting idea, again, for adults. You know, like you have Archer, who is a kid who was murdered by his parents who were evangelical preachers but secretly evil and murdered people and he then came back from the dead with a vendetta to kill them but he like went to this monastery he earned he learned all these powers you know but just like the height of humanity he's a
1: really good shot yeah and he's got like very strong convictions and religious beliefs and all this stuff and then he meets his fat counterpart, <laughs> <laughs> who who is the exact opposite, a bumbling drunk with, uh, you know, different demons, we'll say, at all times. And he's also the brother of the Eternal Warrior. So, I mean, you had the uh, the buddy comedy, we'll say, the ultra-serious preacher boy teamed up with the drunk, and that was Archer and Armstrong.
0: Yeah, and I will say, it is a great read. I mean, if oh, you go back at, now yeah. as an adult and you read Archer and Armstrong, it's just like, wow, like the dialogue's great. You know, you, like you yeah. say, just the, the play between the characters really <laughs> adheres you to them. But yeah, but Armstrong is a character who is essentially immortal. So you learn yes, that whenever right he gets there. shot or whatever, he gets injured, he heals back up. And he, Basically, he just takes it all in stride and he, he complains about it like <laughs> it's a nuisance. He's like, ah, this is going <laughs> to take a couple hours. I get my throat to heal up again after you sliced it you know like whatever he's just like he hates being hurt he'd rather just go party and he's always telling these stories but Archer doesn't believe that he was there a new Napoleon or whoever else you know <laughs>
1: that's exactly right so he would always have yeah so you had like two polar opposites the other guy can't believe that you know this guy is such a degenerate and a low life and he's always combating him with his philosophies and all this stuff and the other guy is just very lackadaisical he knows he can't die and you know he can be blown up or sliced to pieces and he's going to heel so he doesn't really care about anything which makes the hijinks between these two uh you know super fun it, it, it's it's a pretty fun book but think about this if you're like homesick one day and your dad brings you home a comic and you're 10 years old and and you get archer and armstrong you know you you might want the uh, the good lord to take you because that ain't what it piece.
0: Now, you know, next on the list is this book that was very, very hyped by Wizard and Valiant when it came out. Wizard was always given away gold Eternal Warrior number ones as part of their, you know, uh, art contests and things like that. They had so many copies. So what do you recall, Chris, about Eternal Warrior, the brother of Armstrong?
1: Oh, good old Gilad. I mean, you know, he was just a superhuman, super strong, and he was immortal. So, you know, he was a time jumper, so he's one of the uh these characters that existed in every single era you know what i mean if you're if you're have a, a valiant comic chances are the eternal warrior appeared in that era so you know yes. whether it was Turok or magnus or wherever the case might be the eternal warrior was showing up so you know he's he he could heal extremely well you know he was a master of weapons and fighting and you know but he honed his skills over the course of time and in the millennia you know what i mean i don't know what to say about him i mean yeah exactly <laughs> they always had this thing with the geomancer and, you know, he, he was this strong warrior and different things like this. And it was, it was just a lot. I think Adam, I think that eternal warrior just so had so much back history that unless you started from issue one, a lot of things were lost in a narrative, you know what I mean? So it was just a lot to take in, man. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, he he was the valiant character for valiant diehards. Oh
1: so, yeah, like he was.
0: everybody's gonna come in and out of Eternal Warrior's book. He's gonna be in everybody else's book, and that was just like, if you like that guy, he is the one. But you know, but he was like, he was the Wolverine equivalent, you know? Like he's gonna be everywhere, but you don't really care because it's just a guy who's kind of like the perfect man. Like, he had, what what was interesting
1: about him? Nothing. You know he had he he almost looked like the the cover of a like a harlequin romance novel you know the long flowing hair and you know he appeared in all these period pieces and and paintings and time pieces and you know whether it was the future the past or in between or you know whatever crossover you know he appeared in pretty well every book let's be fair
0: and Lorenzo Lamas would have played him if they made oh. an Eternal Warrior TV series
1: yeah built for it actually I, <laughs> I, I could have sworn there was an Eternal Warrior TV show you would you know, think maybe, right maybe, yeah, maybe not maybe it's one of those Shazam what, what is that movie with that was supposed to have existed back in the day with uh, Sinbad well, I swear that that did exist uh, I, I'm a fond <laughs> believer of that <laughs> anyway now okay.
0: uh, but a guy who did make his way into the movies eventually oh. was Bloodshot now he has got to be the most well-known valiant character based solely on his connection to vin diesel who was trying to make that movie for like a decade <laughs> and then the pandemic starts bloodshot is like the last movie in theaters and then it's kind of everybody's like oh
1: wow whatever <laughs> So this is all about uh, Angelo Moratti or Morelli or M- 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 Morality. M- I, don't, I don't even know how to explain his last name anyway. You know, it, he's part of this thing called Project Rising Spirit, and they sort of bring him back from the dead. So he gets all shot up and they inject him with these nanites. So, you know, he gains, you know, superhuman abilities, agility, healing powers and all that stuff. But he's also controlled. So, you know, he's dominated by electrical devices and these computers directly in through his body, and people are able to basically take bloodshot on missions. So he's actually a weapon used by by a company. Now, of course, he breaks free and becomes independent, you know, of Project Rising Spirit and does his own thing and starts killing, uh, you know, killing basically everything in a sight. But uh, I really do like the concept of bloodshot and he's one of those ones that you know when when valiant and image crossover he was one of the ones that i think was a real drawing card for those crossovers and i think rob liefeld he wanted his you know, was hands-on Bloodshot, and I think that Bloodshot probably would have been a better image character than a Valiant character, to be quite honest, because he was the most extreme of them all.
0: Yeah, I would agree. In his first issue, he's literally blasting people's brains out in an airport. <laughs> he's just <laughs> taking people out. Yeah, so Bloodshot was intense, and it's one of those things where it's it's so interesting because his history is tied to Ray. Yes. Because they both have the red the dot on their chest. Why do they have the red dot on their chest? Well, it's the blood of heroes, as Ray calls it, are the nanites that were put into Bloodshot. And it's interesting because later on in other comics, like, they try to create, or they're always trying to recreate what they did with Bloodshot, and they can't. Like, all the no, other no. bodies always reject it, you know? And they die after they get injected with the nanites and all those things. So he has, like, these big ties to the future of the Valiant universe as well. He's, like, this legendary hero. And yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool system. But my favorite thing about reading Bloodshot comics is in the early issues, there is a point because he has nanites, they can talk to other machines. Yes. So he, if he has a CD player, he can put a CD ROM disc in there. He doesn't have to have a monitor or anything to read. He can just touch the, the CD player and it'll play the CD ROM <laughs> and he can absorb the details from the disc. You know? Oh. I love that oh. use of
1: technology. <laughs> it's outdated now, which would be even funnier if they used that today. That would be yes. hilarious. Uh, now the movie itself, what do you think? Just a just a quick quick snapshot. I I didn't hate it. I I, didn't I thought I, I thought it was pretty cool. Like
0: I I thought they hit all the important parts of who Bloodshot was, and they had some twists and turns with you know the reality, what is real, what is not real. So I thought it was very clever. It's not anything I'm clamoring to go back and watch and rewatch because <laughs> I didn't think the personalities were super great in it, but I thought the filmmaking side of it was interesting.
1: I I think with all the delays and how it came out and, you know, pandemic era movie you're talking about, you know, it it didn't never ever got the audience that it, it could have potentially had so you know for if someone's making a you know a cinematic valiant universe unfortunately it started out on the wrong foot i think with bloodshot and if you're talking about the movie itself i mean vin diesel was serviceable enough but i don't think they made him bloodshot enough if you know what i mean like where's the white you know where's the white the, the white pale skin where's the where's the the blood dot you know what i mean where where is all the actual bloodshot look and i think a lot of that was missing and it's a shame too bad
0: Yeah, another kind of more militaristic book that came out towards like this latter end of the first run was a book called are marines. And so that is marines in armor. Are marines. Uh, So this is like hardcore, but with, you know, mech armor, essentially, if you want to call it that. This is an interesting book in that, again, it's like a bunch of, I mean, they they just loved military veterans and making them heroes. You know, like that was what Valiant was so big about. And so they, they basically get this tech and they can now go out and go on missions and do what they have to do. I will tell you, Chris, i think i just like was flipping through it like at a friend's house once or they didn't want their copy and gave it to me back in the day Uh, (laughs) because i'm just recalling now i drew a lot of characters that were kind of like our marines but without like helmets so they would have like the similar style armor but they didn't have helmets on and i called them pope squad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and, and Pope stood for something, you know, my last name. I,
1: I was somewhat inspired. <laughs> well done. If you're talking about the genesis of this book, you look back at who made these, you know, who was who was in the office of Valiant at the time and why they would make something like our Marines. And you got Mr. like Bob Layton, who's, you know, Mr. Iron Man himself over there and, you know, uh, fresh off armor wars and different things of that nature. And our Marines suddenly appears. It seems like their answer to, you know, Iron Man and like the team. Book, you know what I mean? Let's make a whole team of armored warriors. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. I think they should have went more Centurions, power extreme type of deal with our Marines than they did. But, you know, it, it existed and not one of their better efforts, I will say. Yeah,
0: definitely not memorable. But speaking of uh, also maybe uh, on the lower tier and maybe an afterthought where they just said, we don't have enough team books. There is Secret Weapons... Yeah, let's take all our great characters and put them all in one book. So it it sounds cool except that the art of this book is terrible I, it was written and and drawn by the same guy I was reading through a few issues over the last week and I was just like this is just it's so lackluster it, it looks it's a terrible representation
1: of their characters so if you're looking at secret you know secret weapons number one I mean you have all the casts that you'd want to see in a uh, you know in a crossover book you got Exo Man of War you got Bloodshot you got the Eternal Warrior Solar but uh, man not a great book at all and you think that you put all these characters together and it would be magic but it was the total opposite this just didn't go well together it's just one of those things where you can't make every book an Avengers book because some people just don't fit together and it didn't make an interesting book at all I was out of this after issue one 100% Yeah,
0: yeah and, I, and I have
1: it in my long box and I've had it for a while
0: but definitely it was rescued from a quarter bin it was not a, a wall book for anybody
1: you should place that one back in the quarter bin <laughs>
0: Try to sneak it in the comic book. I was like, What are you doing? What are you doing? No, no.
1: Get the the refund going there, Adam.
0: We don't let that in here. (laughs) Now, uh, the last book of the current run of books that they were promoting at this time, a book that made the cover of Hero Illustrated number one.
1: That is. The second life of Doctor Mirage. <laughs> oh my God! So this was touted all over the place as the second coming of Christ. Let's let's be honest. I mean, I, I think that uh, did. I think Wizard gave this a great review too, didn't they?
0: Yeah. Well, Bernard Chang was like this new hot artist,
1: and they're like Bernard Chang. He's drawing this, and we're like, who? <laughs> think about Bernard Chang. You open up that book today, and what do you think? I, I don't think it was really good. Honest to goodness, I don't think it was good. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's it's somewhat
1: distinct, I, I guess you could
0: say. Like, okay, he's got kind of almost, uh it, it's got like an Eon Flux type look where everybody's yeah, very stretched out. Bingo. And it's it's a really cool concept. This is what I will say, because Bob Layton was very involved in this book. He said specifically they created it because they wanted a book that would appeal to female readers. This was going to be a book about a married couple who are, you know, parapsychologists, basically a married couple of Ghostbusters. And they go around, you know, solving these things. But of course they get involved with Master Dark because he's the center of all supernatural things. And in the process, then dr mirage himself gets killed and becomes a ghost so now he is immaterial and he starts learning how to kind of control this power within him and all this stuff because master dark tried to absorb his his life energy when he died but because of the love he has for his wife he was able to deny master dark his power and come back you know and so that's like the power of love is what this book is
1: all about yeah, concept-wise this thing's a winner, but it just wasn't wasn't great. I don't know. Yeah, again, I think it's
0: one of those things because he's not really trying to be a hero. You know, he's he's a an investigator. He's not an, a man of action adventure. So the, the shoe is on the other foot in this case because they're putting it to his wife, who right. is a Brazilian woman who is like can kick butt. Like, so she does all the physical stuff and he does all like the investigating th- using his supernatural powers here and there, you know.
1: But, but it was a lot of hype for, for nothing. I don't think this. Yeah. How long did this run?
0: Um, was... I don't yeah I don't think very long I think it may, they maybe got a year out of it is about it yeah or
1: Bernard Chang he just couldn't get off the ground
0: yeah and it was an era where you thought if you gave somebody enough ink they
1: would be the next hot thing but just was not <laughs> the case let's talk ninja. like what book was hotter at the time than everyone's favorite valiant ninja Holy cow. I mean, chromium cover for days. This thing, when I tell you that uh, people, you know, basically beat each other to death in my hometown for ninjack number one, he was introduced in the pages of Bloodshot. And he's just this, you know, this mega-powered ninja. And of course, you know what? That's all I needed to know about ninjack, man. Because <laughs> it was it was full steam ahead action book. And everybody just loved the hell out of this thing. This book was hot as hell. It had a
0: James Bond element to it because he was a super spy, an assassin, you know, he worked for this group, the Weaponeers, and yet, yeah, he was also had this ninja training in this costume. But here's the thing you said it debuted in Bloodshot, and man, that Don Perlin art is terrible. No <laughs> if he was drawing this book, Nobody would have picked up issue one, even in Chromium. <laughs> it was all Joe casada a hundred percent. And that's the thing. Like this book is all flash and style and the coloring and the inking. This cause this is this is Joe casada this is Jimmy Palmiotti. I mean, this is a whole different group from what Valiant called their knob row, who were their standard group of artists and people that they were raising up to kind of work in their bullpen. But like Joe casada the way he did, you know, Exomana War Number Zero, all. All that stuff it was so outside of the valiant style same with bart sears when bart Sears started doing uh exo manowar it just totally changed everything and it just looked miles and miles away from how they started and it was so much better and i i, I just visually you know and so and maybe the storytelling was, was starting to uh <laughs> to trail off there a little bit into the into the distance and they didn't care as much but it was just one of those things where yeah ninjack just it just caught you and you're just like this is beautiful like i just why, why couldn't they just have joe quesada on full time I mean, they should have just canceled several other books paid joe whatever he needed you know
1: joe, joe was definitely a like he was breaking out like crazy i know a lot of people know joe quesada now from ruining marvel and you know blame him for the death of <laughs> death of comics and all that stuff but back in the day joe quesada was a mega hot Artist and he could make anyone look good, including Mr. Ninjack. And man, he sold some books for Ninjack. I never really got, um, got the vibe. So, you know, he's like, like you said, he's James Bond, except he's a ninja and his name was Colin King, which was a really odd. And like he was a master spy and, you know, working for the, the British government and, you know, all these espionage things, you know, that he was doing. So, you know, it was literally James Bond in a ninja suit. And that's, that's all you really need to know about Ninjack. Yep, there you go. Now, this is the
0: thing, though. So that those were the core Valiant titles. Over, like, the first two years of it ex- its existence, you know, some were hitting, some weren't, but Wizard was uh, definitely letting them all be seen on some level. But then Valiant, they were always a very calculated group. So once Shooter was out of the picture, they're all like, okay, what do we do to maximize this? But they were very adamant from the beginning that they didn't want their roster of books to get out of control, like Marvel had, had, you know, 50, 60 books at this time or more that were being published every month, so they decided to keep their interconnected universe manageable from a narrative perspective. They would cap themselves off at only 18 books being published at a time. So of what we just went through here, I think there were 15 books, and now they're announcing three new titles for 1994 through this magazine and telling you we have more excitement
1: to come. So Chris, who's first up? Time Walker stars the brother of Armstrong and the the Eternal Warrior, a.k.a. Gillen. Glad, K.A. Aram. I mean, he's a guy who's, uh, you know, a guy named Ivar who can actually travel through time to visit the past. You know, the continuity of the Valiant universe. Essentially, you know, it's Avengers Endgame long before that movie even existed.
0: Yes, indeed. I mean, it's one of those things that's like, so uh, Armstrong and Eternal Warriors, you know, Aram and Glad Gil, as he liked to be called. Um, so they, like, they existed in, like, a, an actual timeline you know it's like yes they they would get pulled in and out of time by other characters but they themselves wouldn't necessarily travel from what i recall but ivar actually had the ability to know when these time portals would open he he had a an earpiece that would ring whenever that one was about to open and then he would be able to jump through it and so here's the thing i'll say about time walker because it's basically it's kind of sliders meets doctor who (laughs) that's exactly what it was but i i read through the first few issues and unfortunately it's unless you're a real history buff it's not that exciting because he's literally he's just visiting moments in history and trying to affect the outcome which you would think is the first rule you know that you don't break of time travel but he's always like if i can change the course of this battle this thing won't happen it's like yeah but then the rest of history won't happen what are you doing
1: I think I think you're right on the money. I, th- I think somebody at uh, at Valiant clearly knew their history because I mean, when you talk about some of the details that they put into this book, I mean, they they go extensive when it comes to this. So you know, somebody was was trying to give somebody a history lesson here, but did it make good comics? That's the question, and I think the answer to that is not not so much.
0: Speaking of history, though, this next book has really interesting history, which is, it is called Star Watchers. At least it's called Star Watchers in this magazine <laughs> and in several ads in Wizard Magazine for several months. But when it was released, Star Watchers became Psy Lords. <laughs> Not only was it a Chromium cover, but the characters all have golden skin. There you go. That's all you need. It,
1: it's the 90s, baby. We're Chromium. We're gold. We're silver. We're flashy.
0: And so it was interesting, though, because they are basically the evolution of a race of hardcore beings. So people who had the hardcore powers and implants, and then through generations, they evolved to where they could access those various powers at will. They no longer had to have this home base beaming them the powers, and then they evolved to have golden shiny skin, and it was just like, it was like wet
1: works. Mixed oh, with oh. hardcore. Oh no, no, no. Wetworks gets a lot of praise. That's the Wills Portacio book from yes. uh from uh Image Comics and uh, you know what? That sucked too.
0: <laughs> so. It was on the cover of Wizard magazine, then it took another year and a half or so before it actually came out. So we're gonna be covering that soon, but I just can't believe we've been talking about Wetworks for so long and yeah, nothing.
1: Between between Wetworks and Shaman's Tears, you know, both of those things like <laughs> were so heavily touted as the next big thing in comic books and all that from from Image Comics, and both of them barely, barely made a mark. It's true.
0: Psylords, I will say, from a reading perspective, it's, it is Lord. serviceable. Yeah, I mean, yes. it's a oh, terrible yeah. name, but <laughs> but 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 it, it's a good enough read. It's just you know, kind of again, these are kind of godlike beings now who. The rest of the universe kind of is a little suspicious of them and they want to make themselves maybe better liked in the universe. So they, they try to go on these missions to help people and stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's that kind of story where it's like they're not quite human, but some of them like human culture more than others. Yeah. And yeah, so it's aliens and humans. It's that kind of story.
1: Speaking of aliens and really, really poor characters, there was nothing worse than Valiant the Visitor. Now, for perspective, on what the exactly The Visitor is it's an, it's an alien character superhero type affair but this thing was super hyped it seemed yes. like Adam it seemed like every single issue of Valiant for seven years had <laughs> The Visitor is coming wait for the visitor blah 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 and boy you did, I mean people didn't know what to expect they didn't show any pictures of this character what it looked like and I think for good reason so if you had a, a seven year old sat in front of like a creator wrestler engine <laughs> on a video game and 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 just slapped together like bits and pieces of of other superheroes this is what you get i mean it's a red A red bodysuit with a giant blue cape, blue boots, blue gloves, and this really stupid mask. I don't know how else to describe it. And, you know, The Visitor had adventures, you know, with all the regular people, you know, Solar and Exo Man of War and, you know, the Armarines. But, you know, just an alien character, alien at a time type story and just, you know, trying to get used to the the culture of Earth and, you know, overly superpowered and not very good.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, they were trying to play out like the whole mystery of, you know, who is yeah, the visitor? Who is, who is it doesn't visitor, get yeah. revealed in the comics, really. Like it's kind of, I mean, eventually, I'm sure they, they had some plans for that, but it's it's a situation where Kevin Van Hook, who is the writer of it, you know, in this magazine, he basically just says, we want to bring back good old traditional superhero storytelling that's what every new publisher oh, was saying so. we're going to do it and and so that that's not what valiant did right they didn't do capes they didn't do good guys bad guys fighting each other that really was they they were much more nuanced and and uh, mature in their approach and this was supposed to be like look we'll at the little kids with the visitor <laughs> exactly. that'll be their new favorite character now speaking of other maybe ill-fated comics there was uh some i, I guess i don't know if they were like one-shots or if they were supposed to be like just like a limited series but there was one called geomancer which do you remember the ads for geomancer chris
1: i don't recall that tell me about that
0: there it was just this big beefy guy he looked like jesse the body ventura he had you know a bandana do rag thing on his head and he had a big mustache and a vest and a had a peace sign on his shirt and he was just like hulk it out on the cover that was the ads geomancer
1: <laughs> oh i can't I wait i gotta like, oh. got search this thing up i can't believe i missed out on this let's see here oh my what are they going for here
0: no idea. For those of you who don't know, like Chris mentioned it briefly earlier, but the geomancers are these characters in the Valiant universe who objects can talk to them yes. and tell them history, and the Earth kind of speaks to them. So there's always a different geomancer in all the different times, and and they ha- they help
1: advise the different heroes. So this guy. I mean I'm looking at Geomancer I guess number seven here and boy, you got a guy in jeans and with rolled up cuffs by the way, double rolled cuffs. <laughs> wow. He's got like weightlifting gloves on. He's got like the Sinbad hat from different world, he's got a peace symbol on the T shirt, a like he's just a just a collection of wild nineties fashion combined into one disastrous looking book here. I've never read one issue of Geomancer. I don't know why. How did I head over? I'm I'm sort of glad I didn't, but, you know, you have (laughs) me intrigued now, Mr. Adam. This is one i got to go dig out. Yeah, they're also promoting the
0: Harbinger Files as a new title that seems to focus around Harada, and also that there's a trading card series by the same name. So it sounds like they they were basically trying to give you profiles on everybody in the universe from you know Har- yeah. Harada's point of view.
1: They're they're filling in backstory there, and and the the Harbinger Files is pretty good because you get a lot of, of back detail about Harada and you know his relationship with the kids and all that stuff. This is I would I would actually purchase this one. Okay. Uh, you know if if I was a valiant fan it's it's a just basically filling in gaps in story, and uh, I think the harbinger files is is definitely a good or the rotda files and the Harbinger files are good one to have for sure absolutely
0: yeah, and then they also mentioned that they're going to this year start releasing annuals they're calling yearbooks yearbooks
1: i like I like that name actually that's that's kind of a cool name.
0: The weird thing is, Image did the same thing. Image called their annuals yearbooks also, because nobody wanted to be DC and Marvel. They're like, we're not them, so they're yearbooks. That's
1: what independents call it. One of the things, according to this special, there were rumors that Valiant would even be creating a second imprint. Oh my god, I mean, why not? <laughs> you know, DC had it undergo with go with uh, Vertigo. Marvel had done it multiple times. I mean, they had Epic, they had New Universe. <laughs> Valiant Brass didn't rule out the possibility, and it never actually came to pass. But, think about this, they had all these characters to work in the crossovers. so this big thing like Unity, and, you know, while the writing staff was, you know, applauded for the quality of the storytelling, you know, but what they really gave, gave Valiant for all the attention for, what they say was the g-i-m-i-c-k-s the gimmicks my man and you could i'm telling you we look at those shelves today in 2021 you can blame the sons of bitches at valiant for everything that you see there because they are to blame they preferred to call them enhancements but let's let's be honest here the go-to term when we're talking about the 90s and this whole comic boom is chromium covers and valiant were the the very first to bring that to the industry so you know wizard actually catalogs a lot of their gimmicks going right back to the beginning in this particular magazine so very very cool and man did they start out of the gate and there's there's one gimmick in particular that i that i will bury a little bit later and we'll get into but uh, yes but carry on
0: okay so now they were the first to make the idea of a coupon book successful logo
1: Bingo. Not
0: coupons that you take to the to the supermarket, but mail away coupons that you had to clip out of books, you know, out of the comics. Now the first eight issues of Magnus Robot
1: F- eight issues, Chris. You had to collect eight coupons. But you had to cut up eight comics to do that. This was this was a great idea because, you know, sometimes you would get you would get different things like a zero issue and all that type of stuff. But you would have to save up an immense amount of these things. So you had to cut out, you know, six issues of Harbor eight issues of this, eight issues of that. You'd have to clip the coupons out of all of them. So here's the trick. If you're looking through quarter bins for Valiant books, especially early ones, you really got to look on the inside before you purchase that thing, because I can guarantee you those coupons are gone.
0: Yeah. I mean, if anybody had those early ones, they wanted to get the collectible book, you know, because they were saying like, you'd get like a, you know, a limited edition comic and then, oh, there's a Barry Windsor Smith drawn Magnus trading card inside. You could only get through there. You know, zero issue, like you said, any of those things. So then, Image shortly thereafter started doing the same thing, and I think they made it even more popular. Oh, yeah. uh, over you had know, Image Month, you know, where you had to clip all the coupons to get your your copy of Image Number Zero. So
1: think about how revolutionary that was, though, at the time. I mean they were thinking outside the box they weren't just doing an enhanced cover they were doing the trading cards you know the the coupons the zero issues and all that stuff all of them got pretty well like if they weren't created with valiant they were perfected with valiant because we we all know that you know this was not the first time there was ever a trading card in a comic or not even necessarily a gimmick cover because i mean there there were before that but when you talk about a lot of people point to valiant as the point that popularized it and just basically launched every other you know stupid idiot in a in a a comic company into the stratosphere and the 90s took full advantage of this trend i mean chromium cover gold covers silver foil covers bag poly bag trading card inserts you name it you know you, you could stick whatever you want in a comic book and, and it was a gimmick and you know i tell you what it worked for me i don't know about you adam but i was hooked. a <laughs> sinker fat kid on a candy <laughs> and speaking of those gold variants there what can you tell us chris the gold logo valiance I mean these comics were variant issues limited to a print run of only 5,000 issues now 5,000 seems like quite a bit but wh- I tell you what when you consider that people are clipping coupons and doing all kinds of craziness these things are really hard to find even to this day and they were made va- they were made available only to the most devoted retailers and fans sound familiar? a little bit in the old uh, comic store uh, hostage to buy these things but anyway the way to earn these books they varied so basically if you came in with a fun way to promote the sale of a Valiant comic and, you know, proved evidence to it. You know, John Hartz himself would send you, a, a you know, a couple of gold logo books, and this evolved into pink or red logo editions, chromium cards, and they would also test print print stock, and they held onto these things as prizes at conventions. Now, I remember this. So I remember that one of my retailers were trying to get one of these gold logos, and one of the things that they had to do was they had to basically do, like, a Valiant trivia contest, And they had to send a photo of people, you know, being involved in a Valiant Trivia Contest just to get these gold comics. And you physically had to send it away, and these guys would send you, like, a couple gold issues that were, you know, banged around in the mail and torn to pieces by the time it got to you. But by God, they got those gold comics. <laughs> it was kind of a fun thing to create engagement, and you know, I I kind of dug it. There was a little bit of a buzz that Valiant was creating here, and as you can see, other companies stole all these ideas and more. Yeah, it's a nice way to do it. Where although they said,
0: you know, in other interviews that they would also reward shops that bought a certain volume, it was nice that yeah, like you said, you could make it an event, and by promoting the books in a creative way, you would get a reward for that, not just how much money you gave
1: them. I think that's that's the, the evil cancer that's uh, that's in comic books today. Because, I mean, I know a lot of comic book stores that have gone under for the simple fact that they had to buy, you, you know, a thousand copies of number one or a certain variant and all this type of stuff. Everything is a variant cover these days. So, you know, a comic doesn't come out with a newsstand edition and a direct edition anymore. Now you have like 10 or 12 co- covers to pick from. You always got that chase cover or a couple of those chase covers or autograph covers or you name it. And, you know, you basically got to sell your second born child to get, a, get some of those into your story, you know what I mean? So it's, a, it's all a lethal game, and it all started here, baby. Yeah, now, you know, one thing
0: that Valiant did was Valiant Vision, yes! which to me was an idea that legitimately earns the title of innovation, you know, because it has the potential to make any comic book, not just Valiant Comics, into a 3D experience without that wonky, like, offset printing technique, red and blue. It doesn't have anything to do with that. And it is fascinating how they were able to develop that technology. Now, they were specifically promoting uh, Star Watchers and Psy Lords at this time as a Valiant Vision book but they would basically put the valiant vision seal on any like special book they wanted to add a little extra oomph to
1: did you have it did you have any of the valiant vision stuff
0: oh i do yeah i I, so i have the valiant vision starter kit and the issue of solar that they were saying was like the first one that was really going to feature
1: it it works wonderfully man what like i'm shocked that you know they they're still not using this as a gimmick because it was brilliant and basically just with the, you know a little color additions and all that stuff like you said they didn't do the traditional 3D like you'd see you know with the red and the blues and you know just basically the the weird cast on the comic book to give that 3D feel no these things were you know built right into the coloring and it really popped stuff and it gave you a real HD sort of like depth to your picture and it worked beautifully i just i just love this gimmick and it, it it was one of those gimmicks that actually worked and to these days you could do this and it would basically be costless
0: yeah it's not a one and done deal it's not like you look at it and you you say oh that's a shiny cover like it's it it keeps going you know you can continue to enjoy it for years to come in any book so yeah big thumbs up to
1: valiant vision on that but they weren't done innovating oh hell no they created themselves a multimedia empire. So valiant head honchos who claim like 1994 was going to be the year that they sought to expand into licensing their characters into other multimedia, you know, projects. So this included (laughs) an unnamed cutting edge video game, which most likely was probably Turok Dinosaur Hunter. And I know you guys love that game. And if you don't or never played Turok Dinosaur Hunter, go get it because you're, you know, part of your life has been wasted. Go do it. (laughs) Now, considering adapting their books for film projects, that sound familiar? indeed it does but only if they can get a studio to create a shared cinematic universe now you tell me that these guys weren't ahead of their time adam holy cow this yeah, is you think about what marvel was doing just selling it to anybody
0: selling off the rights and here they are like no 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 we want we want a shared cinematic universe we know
1: what we gotta do this is the game, my friend. I mean, they had this thing figured out well ahead of time. So, you know, when you think about a company that that went under or doesn't get credit, I mean, the innovation, just amazing. Too bad a lot of these things didn't take off though, sadly.
0: Now, ultimately, like we've talked about, only the Turok video games came to fruition as something being massively successful. You know, you had Shadow Man, and uh, (laughs) and it's actually interesting. It, It led to Valiant's fate actually being bound to the world of video games when Acclaim, who was a video game publisher, bought... Valiant, and then rebooted the entire universe into unrecognizable shells of their former selves. Although we did get a pretty cool, at least in concept, exo man and Iron Man in Heavy Metal, which is a Marvel <laughs> crossover game. It was pretty fun to look at, at least the cover of that game. But yeah, Chris, what do you remember about this latter half of the Valiant Comics era? Did, did you keep reading during the Acclaim years?
1: <laughs> so I did, and not only did I keep Keep reading, but it was just, uh, it felt like somebody murdered your children. It was like somebody took your characters that, you know, you had devoted time to. You know, Valiant was was, was basically a special club, Adam. You know what I mean? Not everybody was on board, and, you know, a lot of people jumped off, you know, just as the bubble was about to break and all that stuff in the 90s, and the hype that was around Valiant had cooled off, but, I mean, a lot of folks had stayed with it, because, I mean, the storytelling was still there. You were still invested in these characters. It, it was one of those, you know, things that, you know, it was sort of like an insider's club to still be in, you know what I mean? And then, came. Acclaim, acclaim and they just took your kids outside the barn and shot them in the head
0: they, they literally basically became acclaim comics it was like valiant acclaim was the logo like it was like they you and they showed you this rebooting oh. and like i said at the beginning so i started noticing valiant during these acclaim years, initially, so the three books I remembered seeing on the shelves was Exo Manowar because I had, you know, I had just started reading Exo Manowar and I bought that first issue. and It is
1: terrible. It is just like what? Glad you said that because that was one of the first books I bought with the from the acclaim series. So it's not about Eric anymore. You know, no, 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 no. He's replaced by this guy called Ran Banion, who is basically <laughs> who is a young scientist. And what's funny about this issue is that when the guy that they give the suit to in the first, you know, oh. Opening stanza of the book, they yeah. kill him off instantly. Like he's mm-hmm. he's dead on like page three of the book. Then someone else, you know, this Rand Bannon guy takes over the armor, and uh, it's basically Spitfire and the Troubleshooter. So you know, you, you got this you know super powered armor guy who's controlled by this laboratory and a team of you know just lab kids basically and they're having adventures and he's you know he's got the suit on and they're communicating with him rand can you do this and you know uploading powers now so basically you were you know a video game inside of a suit you you know the worst part about that book though check this out so you know the original suit was from aliens okay right this suit came from the nazis (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah nazis those evil nazis yes sir so you they basically it came from something called like a yeah Titanic Knight. night that that was basically the thing that they built there but this was this was trash this was trash but it gets worse folks it gets worse and <laughs> i want to talk about ninjack. so you yes know, the original ninjak you know colin king you know the british spy turned uh this time He's turned to like a, a video game nerd. Yeah, they, they replaced him with this guy instead of being this super cool agent of the government. No, 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 no. Now he's just this nerd named Danny. And he can switch into the body of his favorite video game character, which is ninjack. Oh, no, 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 no. This was heinous like a fat man's anus. This was terrible, terrible. And it didn't even get turned into a video game. There was no Nidjack
0: video game.
1: Thank God. The artwork, in, <laughs> the artwork in this looks like it's Ralph Snart from Now Comics. Like it was just <laughs> terrible, but non like unintentionally terrible. So that that was no good either.
0: Yeah, but the one that did work from this era, like I brought up earlier, was Quantum and Woody. Yeah, it was so fresh and fun and I bought it month after month I mean for those who don't know this story it's basically their two best friends who through a lab accident they must connect uh, their permanently attached gauntlets that are on their wrists every 24 hours or they will dissipate into pure energy okay and so they become this unlikely duo of crime fighters with Quantum who's this guy who creates like a full costume with a mask and a giant cape he's this no nonsense idea List. and Woody, who is like the smart-mouthed horn dog who's just in it for the fame. <laughs> but the thing that made it so unique, you know, this is written by Christopher Priest, and there's this big racial tension between them that is completely one-sided because Eric thinks Woody stopped being his friend when they were kids because Eric was black. But it's totally not the case. And, and like Woody like, had this terrible life, and he got taken away from the town they grew up in, and all this stuff was happening to him where Woody was living in the you know, the ghetto and Eric, you know, was in this prep school and went into the military and had this like super like idealized life and it all, but he's held this grudge against Woody. So they're always like button heads. They're so different, but they really do care about each other. Eventually they get a goat, that is their their (laughs) sidekick. Yeah, like they just keep the goat around with them. Like it it was just so off the wall. And like Fabian Nasieza was the editor-in-chief during this era. And I remember there's one particular issue where they used the N-word. For those that don't know, Christopher Priest is African-American. So he wrote this whole story about using the N-word, but they had to change it to noogie. And so... (laughs) They're like Fabian wouldn't let us go that far but at least he let us you know address the issue in this comic and anyway but it was just like it was a great great series and they rebooted it you know with this new series it's just not the same I mean you have to that, that moment in time and just how how exciting it was in comparison to everything else on the shelves I just I loved Quantum and Woody
1: nice well I'll tell you what like you there were some diamonds in the rough so a, a title that I didn't really take to originally was Shadow Man but I like the acclaimed version so you know poor old Jack Boniface is gone and he gets replaced by basically you know a hitman character named Michael LeRoy, who's also like a zombie so he's like a zombie hitman type of deal and of course you know you got the whole Wolverine thing where he can't remember his past and he's piecing things back together about his you know his identity and he's figuring things out about himself but instead of being a saxophone player this time he's like he's updated to be like a uh, almost like a a radio disc jockey and uh, you know he's like a a detective like a voodoo do detective and it was a really cool spin man now the video game itself was uh, <laughs> didn't reflect the uh, the decentness of this book but uh really really good turnaround there for shadow man so I, I enjoy this version of shadow man then i actually over the original so that's one of the very few then you got turok do you remember what happened to turok
0: come in here oh
1: my god. So <laughs> picture your favorite superhero back in the past, and all of a sudden he's being reborn or rebranded by this basically millennial college student. <laughs> so Turok, he's turned into Joshua Fireseed, and he's a young college student, you know, from Oklahoma. And he's the heir to the Turok legacy. So that being Turok is actually a legacy right now. So it's passed down through generation to generation. And he spends his entire time you know, transporting himself to and from the past, fighting evolved dinosaurs. Now, these dinosaurs are jacked up. They've got technology, and they're able to time jump, and there's all kinds of different things they're doing with technology. And they actually have shapeshifters called dinozoids, you know, who can impersonate people. So, you know, you actually have dinosaurs who are tracking them down on Earth, and they're dressed up as humans, and they transform, and it's all this mindless mess but somehow it sort of works and he's Turok but he's complaining that he doesn't want to be Turok so he's like this reluctant pissant teenager who you know is basically too lazy to get up out of bed he doesn't want to go to school he has no ambition but yet he's forced into these adventures killing these dinozoids and you know time traveling so you know eventually he learns to take on the Turok moniker and becomes a hero certified so you know he grows into the role which is on paper sounds fantastic but hit or miss on the on the execution, but I thought the idea itself and the concept of, you know, Turok being passed down through generation to generation was actually a pretty decent idea on paper. So, you know, Acclaim had the right idea here somewhere. So, there you go. Turok Dinosaur Slacker. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Perfect.
0: So, yeah, so eventually the Acclaim era fizzled out and Valiant was no more. And like we said, they have rebooted. I remember going to a comics convention in Phoenix, Arizona about 10 years ago and seeing a Valiant booth. And I said to myself, what, what, what? I- Valiant is back like I couldn't believe it like I, I had not seen I wasn't you know deep into current comics at that time so I it just blew my mind that they were relaunching everything and I, I will say the only book I've really checked out obviously is Exo Manowar I read like the first five issues but again it's not quite the same spark the art is so much better than it ever was back in the day but I, I don't know if the stories really grab me
1: yeah, you know what? I think that they've, believe it or not, I think they've done, done an admirable job. But I think a lot of what you're seeing here now is that I think these characters were so harmed by this acclaim era and just got lost in the shuffle. So when people think about the 90s, I think. The name Valiant sort of gets lost in the conversation, you know what I mean? So a lot of these books are brand new to people. Like, they don't recognize the Bloodshots of the world or the Exo-Man of mm-hmm. Wars. And it feels like new books. But I honestly think, Adam, that I think that they've done an admirable job. I think the artwork has definitely ticked up. And the quality of the books, I think, are, are very good. And I would recommend anyone to check out New Valiant.
0: Yeah, and and I think that is true again. If you are into contemporary comics, they are contemporary comics, so they will give you that, that flavor that you want.
1: One thing that they're doing a little bit better is that they're not talking down to their audience. So yeah, they're making them, you know, contemporary, but you know, they're they're not doing like what Acclaim tried to do and touch on brand new trends and just shifting their characters into these, you know, basically video game characters and generational characters and Nazis warsuit characters. You know what I mean? They're trying to keep the original concept and just sort of modernize it a little bit and make that art, you know, up to standard with the industry. And I think that they, they're, they're hitting a home run here.
0: So, Chris, as we close out here, the question becomes then, you know, we mentioned the fate of the comics uh, from this era, this first phase of Valiant, that they end up in quarter bins for the most part, unless it's some of those super collectible early books that are
1: Harbinger. Which I guarantee you do not have their coupon.
0: Yes. <laughs> so, Chris, what would you say is the legacy that of this first phase.
1: Wow, man. Innovation. Absolute innovators. So Valiant really, really set the table for almost every successful thing that Marvel's, they pretty well gave Marvel the roadmap to, to their successful franchise, right on from the gimmicks to, you know, the cinematic shared universe, their concepts. Uh, Shooter himself, I mean, had a genius idea of this shared universe and we're seeing it come to life right now on our screens. I mean, when you're talking about the Marvel cinematic universe, there's nothing in my mind that's ever touched this thing on, on such a big level, I mean, right on down to the most recent WandaVision. I mean, everything connects, everything belongs to each other and I think that's a trademark that came really from, you know, Jim Shooter and especially what he attempted to do with Valiant. This makes everything fit together in a seamless package. But innovation, I think that what they will be known for will be what they've done to to start the industry on gimmick covers and maybe for the worst in regards to what, what uh, comic shops have to deal with in regards to variants and the different... Uh, I guess storm clouds that are over the industry right now I think can be – Pointed to, blamed, or or thanked on behalf of Valiant. So, you know, innovators for sure. I think they had a product that I, I would recommend everybody to discover, but I think it, it's become a little bit of a forgotten legacy, especially the early stuff. But it still exists, and I would recommend everybody give it a chance. And uh, I, can't, I can't say good enough about early Valiant. Skip the middle part with a claim and jump right to the new stuff. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed.
0: There you go. You know, so I personally feel, you know, we talk about the continuity of this world, and I, I mentioned it earlier, I think sometimes it's a little Too tight. There were a lot of crossovers and debuts within different books that really made you feel like you have to read everything to get what's going on in an individual issue of certain titles, and that could turn you off. But that being said, when you are in these books, the dialogue, the diversity of the characters—like we say, there's forty-year-old fat bald guys. You know, like it's (laughs) it's very relatable, possibly to you now. And uh, you you know, and it feels like I'm not bald. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> reasonably pudgy. I'm not fat but to me it's like the storytelling is not heightened it's not melodramatic it, it did feel very natural and so what i say the legacy of valiant is for me is it is a comic company that like you say they did a lot of innovation they gave us quality storytelling that does stand up so you can go back and you know you cannot say this about most image titles uh, they were exciting at the time but they don't hold up but if you go back and rescue them from the quarter bins and get Get a full run of all these valiant books. You will enjoy the read, being someone now with life experience, maybe in a similar place to the people who were producing the books, and now you can take more away from it and have a greater appreciation outside of the art, which was probably what you were looking for for the most part uh, in that era initially. So that's what I say: is, is they are books that hold up and stand the test of time for the most part. You know, like we said, they're not all hits, but the majority are, and. and I think you you can find something to enjoy in at least half the line. So so that's what I say. They are in the quarter bin and make great use of that.
1: <laughs> and some of them are great kindling, like uh, you know when, <laughs> when you're talking about our Marines or hard line the birdcage. <laughs>
0: But with that, Chris, we want to just thank you so much for bringing your enthusiasm for Valiant, and we will see, you know, how this continues on in the pages of Wizard as the history plays out and the details and the drama and everything else. But if they want to get more of your perspective, Chris, where can people find you?
1: Holy cats and dogs. So if you want to talk to me and talk about GoBots, hey, hit me up on the Twitter at Charlton underscore hero, where you're going to hear about all my retro ramblings. And I just talk about pretty well everything during the day while I'm at work. So if you, if you see me tweeting several, you know, 9,000 things in a day, yeah, I'm at work. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. So <laughs> you, you can find me there. But listen, I'm over on the W2M network with Mr. Chris Sheehan and uh, Mark Radlich, and we are the podsman. We're covering wrestling pretty well every single event, covering AEW Wrestling and WWE any of the pay-per-views that happen you can find the podsman over there myself and Mr. Chris Sheehan are going to be resuming the ElfQuest podcast called Quester Days very very soon hopefully once the X-Lap thing is current and uh, I cannot wait to get into that Adam and listen you never know when I might pop up or I'm always watching this Wizards podcast and making sure that people don't besmirch the good name of ElfQuest
0: <laughs> yes indeed and thank you all so much for checking out this special episode hey if you're a '90s Valiant fan. This is your first exposure to Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. You said somebody is talking about Valiant. Hell yeah! We welcome you, and uh, so much more to enjoy. So you can find us on Twitter at Wizards Comics. You can find us on Instagram at Wizards underscore Comics. Subscribe to Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, on all your favorite podcast platforms, and with that, you will be able to get not only special bonus episodes like this, but every Wednesday we are covering a full issue of wizard magazine and then on the following week all the stuff we couldn't get to in that main episode okay so much entertainment packed into these pages and so we invite you to join us on that experience of course you can also go to our youtube channel wizards comics you can check that out and there's some great videos there where we're digging through our long boxes just randomly pulling out stuff talking about old action figures among many other things or if you want the full wizard experience you want the gold experience yes you got to go on over to patreon.com forward slash wizards comics join at whatever tier is most comfortable for you but you can get exclusive videos that you choose the topic of we will give you early releases of episodes unedited you'll also get access to a monthly conversation with the host that's right we have our geek group chat every month with our big cheese tier patrons and man do we have a fun time in there just shared collectibles talking about memories and everything else that comes up. I mean it's a wild ride, and the crew in there are some exceptional people that you'll want to get to know. So, until next time, keep your books back aboard.